we've been talking about the uh, COVID-19 vaccine on these airwaves. Oh, yes. Boy, we have been talking about the COVID-19 vaccine on these airwaves, and for good reason. We want to make sure that our community gets vaccinated and uh, bring herd immunity to our community and the world. Why not? Big shout out to our friends at Joma. Um, they have been a tremendous resource of information for our community. They have had amazing events online that have been very informative. So the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, you get a big thumbs up and a big thank you. And those of you looking for more information about uh, all their topics, um, including the one we're about to talk about now, you can go to COVID-19 resources on the homepage at joma.org. Again, that's J-O-W-M-A.org. Amy Barron, Dr. Amy Barron is founder and executive director of I Was Supposed to Have a Baby, a not-for-profit organization that utilizes social media to support Jewish individuals and families as they are struggling to have a child. It provides a warm and nurturing space for those going through infertility, pregnancy loss, infant loss, surrogacy, or adoption, in addition to connecting those families to resources in the Jewish community at large. Dr. Barron was formerly the director of innovation and growth at Nahama Comfort, that we featured, we have featured them on the air, has also worked as an attending pediatrician in a newborn nursery and neonatal intensive care unit at St. Luke's Roosevelt before taking a leave of absence after her third miscarriage. And she's with us live via telephone to talk about COVID-19 and obviously her area of expertise. Dr. Barron, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I guess three questions, because you probably could answer all three at the same time. How many people have asked you if people uh, currently in fertility treatment should have the vaccine? How many people who are expecting have asked you if they should have the vaccine? And third question, what have you told the people in those two categories? <laughs> all excellent questions, and I think <laughs> I've been asked them about 12 gazillion times um, since the vaccine was even thought of um, in the you know minds of the researchers. Um, look, the, the the situation is is like this. You know, there are the there the community, my community, the fertility community, the community that I support, is in general very hesitant to put anything into their bodies that might possibly harm their babies and with good reason. Right. You know, we we know that, you know, anything, uh, you know, some people go all organic, gluten-free, you know, like you know, people are hesitant to take medications. We know like specifically individuals, lots of individuals who have mental illnesses, you know, they, they sometimes have this like, you know, notion that they need to come off their mental illness medications because it's going to be harmful for the baby. Like there, there are a lot of um, myths that are surrounding fertility and pregnancy where people assume that anything that they put into their bodies could potentially have a negative effect on their babies and they want to be as natural as possible, right. whatever that means. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that there people in this community are coming from that mindset. So that's sort of the first thing that we just have to acknowledge because if we don't acknowledge that and we just say like, do anything, eat anything, do anything. Like, you know, one of the first things that people say when you're pregnant or when you're thinking about it, don't eat raw fish, right. don't have certain kinds of cheeses, right. don't drink alcohol, you know, like all of these things, like people are very careful. 
So that's the first thing we have to acknowledge. And, and there is good data to support that. In regard to medications and specific and, and vaccines in general, without even talking about the COVID vaccine yet, you know, there have been many, many, many studies. There are specific kinds of medications that are classified as class, class A, B, C, D, you know, unknown. And we know that there are certain medications that are safe for pregnancy, safe for individuals who are going through fertility. Those that have been not unstudied, like we call them category C, and those that have been shown to have terrible effects on the pregnancy. So we, we know though those things exist and that research exists. Things like Tylenol, totally safe. Mm. Things like um, thalidomide have, has shown to be not safe. So, you know, and, and the, those, those kinds of medications, and all these kinds of medications run the gamut of everything in between. Right. Then with vaccines, what we am not talking about the COVID vaccine yet, we know that certain vaccines are recommended for individuals during pregnancy because if the, the mother hasn't had that, hasn't had the specific disease yet, if she does get the disease during pregnancy, it could have terrible effects on the baby and on her. And so while weighing the risk-benefit analysis of should she get the, if she gets the illness or if she gets the vaccine, you know, for lots of vaccines, there are long-term studies out there. The research has borne out that it's more beneficial to get the vaccine, even with the small potential side effects or the effects that might be terrible, as opposed to getting the vaccine, that the vaccine is a much right. safer way to deal with it. Is, is, that what's ha- you- is that what's happening now in this country? Are a good number of pregnant women getting the vaccine? Right. So, so that's exactly what I was just going to say. So the recommendations have come down that it is for pregnant individuals. We know we've seen, we have the data from the last year ish, you know, a little right. bit more than a year of when pregnant women get COVID. We know what happens. Some of them, along with the regular population, do okay, but most of them really have a terrible course. We've seen many individuals end up with severe illnesses and also, you know, in the ICU. And there are pregnant women who have died. Pregnant women are considered to be immunocompromised. Their immune system is not as robust as as a typical individual. And so if they should get COVID, then their illness tends to be more severe than the average person who is their age. And so we are recommending the vaccine, we meaning from the medical sciences, we are recommending the vaccine for pregnant individuals because of this exact reason. Because, yes, like, do we know definitively how COVID is going to affect you and your body and your baby definitively? No. But we know that there is an increased likelihood that it's going to be terrible. Right. And we'd much rather save you that terribleness and God willing save your baby with the vaccine than not have the vaccine. And, and I would, I'm going to add one further thing. Often when we do these kinds of vaccine sort of education and in general, not only with the COVID vaccine, the recommendation is, you know what, get it in the second trimester or later 
or even before you're considering getting pregnant because during the first trimester is when all of the organs are developing, all of the different different cells to differentiate into different body parts. And so that that's the time of most, um, I, I'm using the same word again, differentiation, growth in terms of the brain and all of the other different pieces. After the second trimester, and this goes for the COVID vaccine, all vaccines, and also lots of medications, and I'll talk about myself in a second, the recommendation is if you're going to do it, do it before you get pregnant or do it in the second or the third trimester. Right. And I'll even bring this back to myself. I'm, you know, I support women who, women and families who are going through infertility, pregnancy loss, any struggle to have a child. I personally went through six miscarriages, three of which, excuse me, four of which were in the second trimester. And that entire time period was horrific and horrible. I, I full on depression and terrible amount of anxiety anytime I was getting pregnant, even after that first miscarriage, because I was just afraid, terribly afraid, and sometimes even having panic attacks about the pregnancy. Now, in my last pregnancy, which ended up resulting in the birth and the like amazingness of my twins who are now seven. I was also having this terrible anxiety and especially around the times when I lost the pregnancies previously. So I, I in those four previous pregnancies, I lost the, those pregnancies in this at the 16 or 17 week mark. And so the weeks leading up to those that time period yeah. were intense periods of anxiety, and I was having terrible panic attacks. Can't imagine. And I went to see a psychiatrist, and I said to her, along I was, you know, in therapy the entire time trying to manage those feelings. But I went to see a psychiatrist because I was really not functioning, and I said, like, is there anything here that's safe for me to take? For me just to feel like I can function again, I have three other children, I need to be able to take care of them, I, I need to make dinner, you know, Shabbos, et cetera. And she said, look, she said, you know, the research is not great. Like, let, let's call it what it is, specifically for anxiety. But in consultation with my OBGYN at the time, she said, you know, for you, the worst time is the second trimester and especially the days and weeks leading up to that point for mm -hmm. you when you lost those babies. Mm -hmm. I, she said, I'm completely comfortable with you taking a short acting medicine or any kind of medicine in the second trimester because we know that it's beyond the first trimester and we know we're not going to affect how the babies are developing. Right. Understood. And that's what I did. And my babies. Are fine. Not babies anymore. They're children. <laughs> but, but yeah, your babies are no longer babies. Baruch Hashem. Dr. Amy Barron is with us. Um, kudos to our friends at Joma. Obviously, with Dr. Barron's appearance here, I think we could safely say that she is under the proper circumstances, and obviously, everyone should speak to their doctor uh, recommending the COVID-19 vaccine. By the way, before I ask you, uh, I, have a, I have a question I want to ask you about your experience, but aside from that for a moment, um, w would you say the same thing with the flu shot? Do you recommend or do, d does the medical community in general in this country recommend that pregnant women get the flu shot on a regular basis? 
Yes, excellent question. Um, exactly the same recommendations. Exactly the same. Um, and I believe I actually I, I'm not I, I'm not sure about this. Please check with your OBGYN because I am not a an OBGYN, OBGYN by training. Right. I am a pediatrician by training. My right. the work that I do is in support and emotional support right. of the fertility community. Um, the, the flu vaccine is recommended exactly in the same way and exactly for the same reason um, for pregnant women and individuals who are trying to get pregnant because for the same reason, this depressed immune system, the, if you get the flu while pregnant, you can have a, a terrible course that's unlike someone else of your age. I don't remember whether the recommendations are getting the flu vaccine during the first trimester is okay. That's the piece that I don't remember. But it is absolutely definitely recommended for pregnant women. Dr. Amy Barron's with us. Now, based on what you just said in terms of your qualifications, it might be unfair to ask you this question, but, you know, you could always say that (laughs) that you have no answer. You know, we've spent a good part of this morning because of the um, study being done at Rutgers with Gift of Life talking about the tendency of somebody, you know, being susceptible to COVID. And and the suspicion is, and again, you know, I speak completely unscientifically, the suspicion is that that O that type O blood is uh, you know, just an example. Um, you know, obviously people with type O blood have gotten COVID and will probably continue to do so, but you know, at a much lower rate it seems than than people with other blood types. Just giving an example of what I mean by tendency. W- with all your experience, have you ever come across why some women have a tendency to go through what you went through? Does anybody have a clue as to what circumstances or situations might be uh, a contributing factor to that type of uh, of difficult experience that you had? You were referring to my repeat pregnancy loss. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, there, there. The answer is is we are starting as a scientific community and a research community. We are starting to understand why um, why it can happen to some individuals, and there's still so much about medicine that, and science, as we all know, that we still do not understand. Right. Um, you know, we we know that there are certain medical conditions, there are certain clotting disorders, um, there are certain immunologic conditions, there are certain genetic disorders. There are definitely things that exists that we know about that can cause repeat miscarriage um, or repeat pregnancy loss. And, you know, it's, it's, the list is very long, but they generally fall into one of those three categories. What I and we in the medical community always recommend is that if, you know, we say that if you've had one loss, not that it's typical and not that it's not horrible and not that it's life-altering for so many individuals, Mm -hmm. but we know the statistics are that one in four pregnancies end in a loss. And so specifically in our community, you know, when we're having large families, the reality is, is that miscarriage has happened either to yourself or to someone that you know very well. Right. And so it's a, it's a common phenomenon in our community. And so if you've had one, often it's, it's something that happens. And most likely, if it's in the first trimester, 
it's a genetic anomaly in that the chromosomes didn't come together in the proper way to create a perfect human being. And it's part of what, what you know, doctors term, and, and I think also what, what Hashem like was thinking about in terms of a little bit of natural selection, right. that that these babies were not meant to be right. born. We're not, these babies, it's, it happens. We have eggs and we have sperm that don't have complete sets of their genetic material. Right. And even though, you know, in, in a, you know, in an ideal circumstance, those things do not come together and you do not get pregnant. Sometimes you do. And sometimes what happens is those pregnancies end in a loss and they end in a loss very quickly. And so we say in the medical community that if it happens once, grieve and get all the support and, right. and emotional, you know, emotional comfort that you need because meet, pe- meet, pe- child, meet people like you. I can only imagine what these women would be going through if they didn't have people like you around. Look, I, I you know, I, thank God that lots of lots of support in the Jewish community exists. Right. Nahama Comfort, A Time, Kenafayim. Right. There are a lot of organizations, including myself, including I was supposed to have a baby that exists for this exact reason. But if there's so, if there's one, then reach out and get the support. Right. But if you have more than one then that's the time really to start pressing your doctors and getting testing done and really trying to get answers because one is horrible, two is a pattern. You and know, patterns need to try to be, you know, figured out so that it doesn't happen again. And hearing your stat, 25% end in miscarriage, hearing that stat makes me want to say to all of us, men and women out there, fathers and mothers, just how blessed and lucky we are to be parents. Because sometimes, you know, someone, I, I was once at a Suda Soda for somebody who survived a very difficult childbirth and took months to recover. And the doctor, who happened to have been a from man, spoke, the doctor of this patient spoke and said, this episode does not reflect or, or remind us that, you know, there are times when um, when when people have difficulty in childbirth. This episode reminds us that every ten thousand that there are ten thousand births going on without any problems and complications, which is unbelievable. And I'd like to extend right. that by saying, you know, what you're telling us about this twenty five percent doesn't just remind us that we're all lucky to have children, but but even now in twenty twenty one with all the technology in the world, you need that blessing from above and the hashkacha that uh, that we all pray for in order to actually become parents and raise families. And I think it's an important message, especially in an, in an era of, uh, of leisure and comfort when we, think we have, when we think whatever we want, we can have. Look, this is, this is the very essence of the community in which I support. Right. You know, these, these families, these individuals are desperate to have a child. They, they yeah. look all around them and everybody else seems to be doing exactly what they cannot. And look, I mean, some of that is because still in today's day and age, we're not talking about these things at our Shabbos tables, at our Simchas, at our, you know, we're not talking about them publicly in these, you know, sort of semi-intimate, you know, celebrations. We're not, or, or events, we're not doing that. But what we know is that it's happening everywhere. And so it's this, this notion that everybody else like has and we do not is, and, and also the uncertainty of all of it. It's the, like, 
if you knew that you would be holding a baby in your arms in even two years or yeah. three years. Yeah. The anxiety yeah. and yep. the angst yep. all of the the time up until that, you would be you would be sad and you would yep. be you know, you would still feel bereft. Yep. But at least you would know that you had a happy ending. A hundred percent. The problem with all of this is you never is know. The un- Right. right. You just yeah. never know. Listen, uh, Dr. Barron, I mean, we just met today, so I'm not sure you have a sense of humor, but uh, I'd have to assume based on the situations you've been through, you have to have one. Can you play this game with me for a minute of the most ridiculous thing that anybody ever said to you in these situations? We, we Sure. Oh, thank you. Go right ahead. You, ha- you have the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just take one. Go ahead. Give me one of them. <laughs> Look, you know what? I'll sort of go ridiculous, and then and then I'll go like you know, and, and then I'll bring it back to yeah. current events. Unfortunately, right? You know, I, about what happened last week—the horrific tragedy in Mayrone. So right. we're doing ridiculous, and then you know, bringing right. it back. Right. I, you know, this Hashem has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. Right. Why are you struggling? You should just have more faith, more amuna, more bitachon. You know, Hashem only does this to people who can handle it. Uh, like, like, like all, all of this stuff, ridiculous stuff, is is you know, is it people say this stuff anytime there's a tragedy? They're saying it now. Right. They said it to me then, and over and over again and during not, all of my years. And it's not consoling. And, people need to know just, that it's not it, consoling. It's just, it, it just, it's not, it's not only it's not consoling, but it's just, it doesn't meet people where they are. It just like flippantly says like, eh, doesn't matter that you're sad. Just like push that all away and just like, remember Hashem is there and he'll take care of you. Like, okay, yes. Like, yeah. if, if you're a believer, if you're someone who has a deep connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then you do believe that. But in times of great distress, of tragedy, of grief, having people not see you in the place that you are, in that terrible despair, and instead flippantly giving you these remarks because they don't know what else to say. I don't believe it comes from a bad place. It comes from a place where people think that it's actually going to be helpful. But everyone needs to know when to keep their mouth shut. Correct. Correct. Silence is so intimidating. People need to know that silence is usually the best way to go. Look, there's a reason why at a Shiva house, the halacha is right, right. that you shouldn't speak right. until spoken to. Right. And that nobody, nobody follows that anymore. It's awful. Right, right. And so I'm very careful, very careful whenever I go to a Shiva house, even if there's, you know, even if they're talking about nonsense, about yep. shush, I do not say a word. I wait very. until someone has spoken to me, I wait, and then and then we have a discussion that's appropriate. Look, you need to let the mourner yeah. lead the conversation. Correct. The conversation, if they want to talk about stress, fine. Right. Like, that's helpful and for, if they, and for if them. They, and if they want you included, you'll know they want exactly. you included. Right. Exactly. But but this, this, like, this, you know, sort of coming at it from on high, this religious toxicity, this, this like, you know, we know better than you, and you're you're going through this because of this. None of those things are ever helpful, yeah. ever at any point. Whether it's immediately, you know, in the immediate moments surrounding a tragedy, or years later when people say things like, "People say to me now, 
because they know that I run this organization and help so many people, they say, oh, well, now you know why you had to go through all that. Oh. I'm like, no, oh. actually, oh, God. no, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. unbelievable. Uh, I got to get a final word from you about the vaccine hesitancy. I mean, I know that uh, the people at Joma have been trying their darndest to get everybody to focus on on getting this done and making our community and our general community as safe as possible going forward. Um, any final statement regarding those who who are in our community who still wonder about the efficacy and whether it's worthwhile to do all this with the vaccine? Look, I, I'm part of the advisory board of JOMA, and we are here to provide information and education. We are not forcing anyone to do anything. We are here to give people good scientific information, dispel myths, and to try to encourage people to get the vaccine, although we're not forcing anyone. Right. There's free will. Everybody right. has free will. Right. But we're, we're trying to encourage all individuals, including the fertility community, to get the vaccine because when, because we know that if you were to get the illness, while no one can predict what your course will be, those in this community, in my community, the fertility community, because of their immune state, potentially could have a worse side effect. And so we're we're making those recommendations for this community. And also there's a lot of misinformation out there about how the vaccine can affect fertility, the vaccine can change your your cycle. Like I I, uh, my last word on this, I, I what I want to say to the community at large is yes, do we know that the vaccine can potentially change your cycle for up to one to two months? Yes. That information has been borne out, meaning if you're normally a 28-day cycle person, it might be 20 days or it might be 32 days. That's what I mean by changing your cycle. What it does not do, and there has been research out of Israel and a number of other places that have borne this out, so to speak, in my community, I can say born. Um, that has borne this out. It does not. They've studied women who've been going through the infertile um, in vitro process, the IVF process, and they've studied women on different um, in different fertility communities. It does not change the number or the quality of the eggs that you might be producing if you were on those fertility medicines for IVF. It does not change anyone's sperm count quality anything like that that's what the research that we know so especially in the firm community there are lots of myths out there that it really depresses or decreases or affects your fertility i'm not sure where that comes from because the research has not shown that at all and so that's the last word i'd like to leave with you does it change your cycle it can doesn't doesn't absolutely, but it might. But that doesn't mean it's going to affect your chances of having a baby. Can't thank you enough for joining us this morning, Dr. Amy Barron. A pleasure to meet you in this forum and continue your amazing work on behalf of people who really need you. Amen. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Dr. Amy Barron. Uh, a reminder: 
information, go to joma.org. Very simple, J-O-W-M-A.org. The folks at Joma have a great uh, resource center. It's a tab at the top of their page that says COVID-19 resources. Check it out. Also, they have those amazing videos we've been telling you about. Uh, some of them really specific, healthcare professionals, uh, doulas, uh, etc. And then, of course, for the general community as well. You can check all those out by going to their website at joma.org. More coming up. It's a Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM. Mm-hmm.